Hello and welcome to Queer as Fact, the podcast bringing you queer history from around the world and throughout time. I'm Alice. I'm Eli. And today we're talking about the story of the female Pope, Pope Joan. We have a couple of content warnings before we start this episode. There is mention of an execution, and we also talk about imprisonment and the death of somebody in prison. So if that is something you don't want to hear, feel free to skip this episode and check out any of our other episodes. So before we start, I want to talk a bit about why we think Pope Joan is relevant to this podcast. So firstly, from the point of view of modern conversations about Pope Joan, people have referred to her, if you just look at like online articles and stuff like that, as being the trans pope. People have seen Pope Joan as a part of queer history, mm-hmm. possibly as a trans man, though I will note that I am going to use female pronouns throughout this episode. And... When medieval chroniclers were writing about Pope Joan and the church itself, which now no longer accepts Pope Joan as a pope, did accept Pope Joan as having been a pope. The story of Pope Joan generated a lot of discussion about gender and, you know, what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and things like that. And that's pretty queer. I'll allow it. Good. I think also, though, like, it's probably worth saying that in these mini episodes, because they're kind of an aside to our main podcast, that we are maybe going to be a little, like a little bit looser with what we decide to include and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's okay. Yeah, I don't think I would do a full episode about Pope Joan, but... I mean, evidently, yeah. <laughs> I think it's queer enough to discuss in a mini-episode. So, the story of Pope Joan, as it's generally told, goes something like this. In the ninth century, Joan, who was a German woman of English descent... I said German, where she was from was part of the Holy Roman Empire at the time. It's part of modern-day Germany. Okay. She disguised herself as a man to follow her lover into his studies. It's not clearly specified that he's studying within the church, but I assume that's what he's doing based on the fact that she appears to follow him into becoming involved with the church herself. And that's pretty much where you do your studies as a Christian in the ninth century. She ended up being incredibly successful. She traveled to Athens and then on to Rome, where she became a respected teacher and she was eventually unanimously elected Pope in the year 855. That was all much quicker than I... Like, that was just very streamlined. <laughs> I assumed there would be some kind of moving up through church hierarchies, but it was just, like, Pope. Yeah, um, in some versions of the story, it does say, you know, she went on, became a bishop, became a cardinal, became Pope. In the kind of accepted earliest version that formed our knowledge of this story, it just kind of goes, she studied, she became a teacher, she became Pope. Okay. I really like picturing this woman you know, being like, oh, it's fine. I'm not going to take on, like, offices or anything like that. I'm just going to study. And then becoming a priest and being like, well, this is a little bit alarming, but it's not like it's going to escalate any further. And then becoming, like, a cardinal and being like, well, okay, I mean, they're never going to make me pope. And then being like, this has gotten a little out of hand. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But Joan supposedly became pope in 855. She served as pope for two years, seven months, and four days. And then... This is so specific, it must be true. And I assume that's where this episode is going. Well, that is very specific, it's true. (laughs) Um, But then her sex was revealed when she got pregnant and gave birth during a church procession, a procession from the Basilica of St. Peter to the Church of St. John of Lateran. That's also very specific. It's very specific, yeah. It's very specific. Outside the Church of St. Clement. Cool. She gave birth, her sex was revealed, and she died. In like one go. It's not clear in this first version of the story that I mentioned whether she died in childbirth or whether she was then killed because she Uh, had been a female pope. Okay. In later versions, 
both explanations are given. Well, that's all very dramatic. It's also generally said that whether she was executed or died in childbirth, she was later buried at that spot outside the Church of St. Clement. And there's a little shrine there today that you can visit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Is there actually a body there? I don't know. You didn't check while you were doing research? I don't think anyone's excavated. No, I mean, like, personally. (laughs) I haven't been to Rome, but if I ever go there, I will dig. Okay. (laughs) On that corner. This version of the story that I just told you, comes from the Chronicle of Popes and Emperors, which was written by the papal chaplain Martin of Poland in the late 1200s. There were earlier mentions of a female pope. The earliest we know of is in 1255, so like 40 or so years before. But Martin is the first person to provide a name and to provide all those really specific details about how long she served as pope, where she came from, all that kind of stuff. All right, I I suspect I know the answer to this, but do we know where he got that information from? We don't know where he got that information from. That's okay. <laughs> it is worth noting that he put out three editions of this Chronicle of Popes and Emperors, and Pope Joan is only in the final edition. Okay. So what does that suggest? I don't know, that he discovered this at some point in his research after putting out the first edition. <laughs> that he didn't just straight make it up when he was like, I need to add some interesting stuff. But maybe it wasn't selling well or something. Maybe. Maybe it wasn't yeah. selling well and he was uh, like, I need to add something more exciting. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've forgotten. When was Pope Joan alleged to have happened? Uh, she was alleged to serve as Pope from 855 to 857. Okay. So it's not like he then met someone who had, like, met her or anything. No, no. Like, he's already 400 years after the yeah. supposed time of Pope Joan. Okay. His Chronicle of Popes and Emperors also is laid out so he has two pages facing each other and one page is a list of years and, you know, who was Pope in that year and one page is a list of years and who was Emperor in that year. And there is speculation that he just put Pope Joan in there in 855 because there was nothing else interesting to put in that year. So, so like, he did make her up because he had a gap? Because he was just like, I kind of need to fill this gap on this page. Okay. Or could it have been that he'd heard that and he was like, that's a little bit beneath the level of scholarship I'm doing here? And then he was like, oh, go on. <laughs> Yeah, no, that may be true too. In the um, earlier mentions, I said, like, in the mention in 1255 that just mentions a female pope, the very first mention we know of is just a note in a margin where they're like, I've heard this, but I need to verify it. Okay. I mean, verify it how? Um, I really just don't know that much about, like, scholarship in this time and its sort of standards and so forth. I think in the time, from what I've understood about reading this, it would mean verify it by finding someone who was considered reputable who had mentioned it so they might not as we would want to have to go back to a primary source yeah but find an earlier historian who they considered reputable okay so like i'm sorry i'm really laboring this point (laughs) so can we infer that then there were maybe like older books that mentioned it in some detail that we've then lost or like because it just seems really weird for there to be this like several hundred year gap and then like you'd assume this story had to be around in some specificity in that time whether Mm. it was just like orally people were like have you heard the one about the female pope or that there were other books so before this chronicle of popes and emperors Mm. there are several other mentions of female popes as i've mentioned and they don't all seem to come from the one earliest source we know of i see so it seems that there were several different people talking about this from before we okay. know of sources on it. Also, not that long after Martin wrote his chronicle, the papacy moved from Rome to Avignon okay. in France for about seven years. And so there was a lot of upheaval within kind of record keeping and everything. I see. So that also doesn't help us have okay. any idea of what sources he might have had available to him. Okay. And also probably didn't help anyone who wanted to check his work not long yeah. afterwards. Martin explains in his chronicle that Pope Joan has been excluded from previous lists of popes because of, quote, her female sex, 
end quote, and quote, the foul nature of the transaction. The quote. transaction? <laughs> the transaction. But the transaction meaning her becoming Pope. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> the transaction meaning just like the situation. But because Martin was papal chaplain, his work was very well respected and considered to be factual. And so from then on, we see the story picked up by a lot more chroniclers and within the church itself as a part of papal history. Okay. Martin's Chronicle places Joan's papacy in 855, as I said, between the papacy of Pope Leo IV and Pope Benedict III. Those do sound like pope names. Yeah, they are pope names. Definitively popes. But not definitively a pope is Antipope Anastasius, who's about to feature. Antipope? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that an official title or just... No, it's what you call someone who claims to be pope but is not pope. So I could become the antipope at the drop of a hat. You could become the antipope if you, like, claim to be pope loud enough. Oh, so you have to get a certain amount of recognition for not being the Pope? Yeah, I guess okay. so. Hmm. Like, I don't think there are official hoops you have to jump through to become anti-Pope. Okay. But, yeah. But, like, if I just say to you, Alice, like, no, really, like, I am actually the Pope. <laughs> yeah. We don't have an official anti-Pope on stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. You have to convince more people than me that you're the Pope. No, that I'm not the Pope. <laughs> anyway, anti-Pope Anastasius is here. Okay. He sounds like a Disney villain. (laughs) Well, he was probably the papal librarian who then tried to seize the papacy for himself. Okay. And he did this between the papacy of Pope Leo and Pope Benedict. So after the death of Pope Leo IV, Pope Benedict was elected, but anti-Pope Anastasius tried to seize the papacy. He didn't succeed for very long, and Benedict did end up being Pope. But the fact that this happened means that the transition between Leo and Benedict is very well recorded in different sources throughout Europe. And there's not space for a two-year, seven-month, and four-day reign of an extra pope in there. Could he have been a woman? Uh, I have seen nothing to suggest he was a woman, but we know very little about him. Like, the fact that I said he was probably the papal librarian. I see, yes. You know, we know that there was an anti-pope Anastasius. We know there was a papal librarian called Anastasius. Some chroniclers suggested they were the same person. Okay. So we have very little information. Alrighty. Um, Nobody has ever suggested that Anastasius was Joan. Well, I'm suggesting it right now. (laughs) Maybe he was. That seems as valid as... Or, like, surely their stories were conflated at some point. No, not that I ever saw. But, like, surely they were. (laughs) I'm sorry. Do you have any suggestion of how Joan came to it? So with people like Martin, does he mention this anti-pope? Like, does he replace him with Joan? Or does he, like, just kind of, like, fudge the timeline? Or, like... I'm not sure exactly. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't know. All right. Maybe Joan and Anastasius were in cahoots. (laughs) Maybe they were. Maybe they were identical twins <laughs> who just like <laughs> who switched, switched out. clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. You should have invited me to this episode. <laughs> Surely she would have switched out when she was like, look, I'm nine months pregnant and there's a procession on today. Do we know that she was definitely nine months pregnant and that it wasn't like a slightly early birth? No, it may have been early. Mm. It's sometimes said that it was her horse getting frightened by the crowd or like oh. something like that that kind of like, is, mm. yeah. How dramatic are papal robes that you can be a fully pregnant woman and it's not evident? Yeah, pretty pretty dramatic. That's pretty <laughs> so legit. Okay. <laughs> Good. There are two main pieces of evidence that chroniclers use in connection with Pope Joan okay. to suggest that she was real. The first is the verification of the Pope's sex supposedly to prevent a repeat of a woman being elected. So what supposedly happens is after the Pope is elected, during his inauguration, he is seated on a chair which has a hole in a seat, mm-hmm. and a deacon reaches under the chair in, through the hole and checks that the Pope has testicles. All right, that seems fakeable. 
As in... I don't know. I'm sure you could figure something out. You could pay off a deacon. Is that what no, you're saying? No, oh yeah. But I just mean like, you know, no one's like seeing that it's Oh, I understand. You. I don't know. I just feel like you could get around this if you like really deeply wanted to. Yeah, no, I think you could. I think you could. Either through bribery or through just like faking it physically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, frankly, I wouldn't be that surprised if you just bribed him anyway because that's a weird thing to go through with a colleague. <laughs> That's true. It's definitely weird. But it apparently supposedly occurred. And he would check the Pope had testicles and then he would announce to the crowd, Habet duos testiculos et bene pendentes. All right. So what if he only had one? Ah, uh, uh, that's never recorded. Okay. It, it Do says, you want to translate that? I was to <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> so Habet duos testiculos is he has two testicles et bene pendentes well hung. So that's that. Okay. Nope. That's on. how that's generally translated. All right. I know I'm not. Oh, you're questioning the it. fact that that occurred. No, I'm criticizing the fact that the like second part is in any way necessary. I don't think it is, but <laughs> it's here. And then they'd all say thanks be to God and sing La Dame and the ceremony would continue. <laughs> I'm just. This is fine, you know. You do you, but I'm just saying that if you made this up for a fantasy novel, people would not accept it. <laughs> As a, like, legitimate, dignified thing to do. <laughs> it's not very dignified. Like, the part that gets me about that is the thanks be to God, to be honest. <laughs> so they're all very serious, and he's sitting on this weird little seat. Like, Please move on. It's not a little seat. It's a big, fancy marble seat. Oh, what the hell? Yeah. So um, there are eyewitness accounts from the time of people who were at papal inaugurations and claim to have witnessed this okay. particular part of the ceremony. Um, but they vary greatly in their descriptions of, say, when in the ceremony it took place and things like that. And so we have witnesses of, like, the same pope being inaugurated that vary or of, like, various inaugurations? Um, of various inaugurations, but, like, consecutive inaugurations. So inaugurations, like, within a few years. Okay. And papal ceremony is pretty, like, fixed. I see. Yeah. So, like, other aspects of it don't vary. It's just this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a weird thing to all kind of decide to, like, fake into history, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they're not the most credible eyewitnesses, but there are supposed eyewitnesses. None of the official texts which outline the formalities of inaugurating a pope mention this. But the chairs do exist. Oh, okay. There are two. Okay. One is in the Vatican Museum and one is in the Louvre. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Most archaeologists now agree that these chairs are Roman bathing chairs. So you sit on the chair and you pour water over yourself and it drains out. Oh, I see. Okay. Or possibly Roman birthing stools. Okay. But more generally agreed to be bathing chairs. Okay. Do we um, have more than that? They're just not in a Pope context? They were used as part of papal ceremonies. No, I mean, like, do we also have a bunch of other Roman bathing chairs that have no connection to Popes? Uh, yeah, there are Roman bathing chairs that do look like this. Okay. These are very fancy ones. Okay. <laughs> but the papacy did carry on and repurpose a lot of items and traditions from the Roman Empire. Yeah. To, you know, cement their authority. Yeah. So it makes sense that these chairs could have been repurposed because they were impressive Roman marble chairs. And, you know, they so happen to have a hole in the seat, but that's not the point. The point is that they're an impressive Roman marble chair. Okay. And that the presence of the hole in the seat was then associated by the general public who would have watched oh, yeah, okay. papal inaugurations yeah. with this supposed deacon checking the Pope has testicles thing. Secondly... I mentioned earlier that Joan gave birth outside the church of St. Clement during a papal procession. 
Yes. <laughs> From about the 13th century onwards, the reason papal processions was changed to avoid the spot outside the Church of St. Clement. Okay. Yeah, many medieval writers at the time and in the following centuries when this new route avoiding the Church of St. Clement was taken said that the change had been made to avoid the site because of its association with Joan. And it is a longer route, but it seems much more likely if you look at how Rome is laid out and the roads they would have taken, that the route was changed because the earlier route, which was shorter, was also much narrower and papal processions were getting bigger and more dramatic and yeah. they wouldn't be able to fit down those narrow streets anymore. Mm. I mean, you said it was longer as if that was like a reason why this was a weird thing to do, but that seems also like a thing that, like, don't they want people to come and look at them? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just that in the past, before they made the change, they took the most direct route oh, from um, right. St. Peter's Basilica to okay. St. John of Lateran. All right. I mean, I'd buy that there was just one pope who was just like, no, this is my moment. Yeah, that's true. Me. Let's go around the block for a while. I just don't think that you become pope without a like healthy sense of the dramatic. <laughs> I think pope is a very dramatic, dramatic role. Yeah. But in 1486, Pope Innocent VIII took the shorter route again in an attempt to dispel the rumours that they changed the route because of Pope Joan. But in those intervening years, like the church itself did agree with the story sometimes that they changed okay. it because of Pope Joan reasons. A final note on how people have argued that there was a Pope Joan mm-hmm. is that there, in lists of popes, there is no Pope John the 20th. Okay. So there's a Pope John the 19th in the 11th century and a Pope John the 21st in the 13th century. Yeah. So it's generally suggested, suggested that her name was Joan and she was called John when she oh, I was Dretch's man. But there was no John 20 because what happened was in 984, during the reign of John 14, uh-huh. a man named Franco Ferrucci, who took the papal name Boniface VII, rose to power and claimed the papacy. So it's another antipope. This was the second time Franco had done this in his life. Oh my god. His second term as antipope. Antipope squares. <laughs> yeah. How do you have a second term as antipope? How does your first term end? <laughs> Um, I'm not entirely clear on the details. Like, I'm stepping down from my position of not being the Pope, but I will continue to not be the Pope later after a short period of not being the Pope. <laughs> I'm not clear. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, in his second stint as anti-Pope, he imprisoned the Pope, Pope John Fourteenth. Okay. And Pope John Fourteenth died in prison. And the way this was reported in later biographies of popes said, you know, Pope John served in these years, John was in prison in these years, and people began to interpret that as being two Johns rather than oh, one okay. John. And so when we got up to Pope John Twenty-first, he thought there had been two Johns oh, okay. and one had been forgotten to be counted, so he tried to fix his numbers okay. by being 21st instead of 20th. But then um, later chroniclers saw this discrepancy as proof that there'd been a John Twentieth stricken from the record. I see. Okay. From that, I don't think there's any definitive evidence that Pope Joan existed. Fair enough. And I'm pretty convinced that Pope Joan did not exist. I'm sad. Based on the fact that there's no way for her to fit into the papal record. Yeah, okay. Not only is there no evidence for her existence, there is some evidence against her existence. Yeah, and also the fact that there are no mentions of her at the time when, you know, the papacy has always had enemies. If there was a woman pope who gave birth in public, Mm. people would be writing about it at the time. That would be, like, quite a day. (laughs) It would be the biggest deal in that century for medieval Christians. Does anyone, like, I realise we're in fake history, but does anyone make up what happened to the baby? 
Yeah, there are various stories oh, about okay. what happened to the baby. Uh, is it horrible? Uh, there's a bishop who is sometimes claimed to have been the baby. It sometimes also claims that it was a female baby. And I can't remember what's supposed to have happened to her, but there's various names that the baby's given. Like, yeah, people do make up stories about the baby, okay. but there's no consistency to the stories about the baby. In terms of why this story then exists, there are several possibilities and we really don't know. Um, There are several Pope Johns who in their time were criticised for being weak and effeminate. Okay. And some people... I could see how we could Chinese whispers this situation. Yeah. yeah. Medieval chronicles are pretty Chinese whispersy, so, you know. Um, there are also several powerful women in medieval times who have stood, stood behind several popes mm-hmm. as, you know, mistresses or mothers yeah, okay. or all kinds of things. Also, in 1054, there was the Great Schism between the Roman Catholic Church and what is now the Eastern Orthodox Church. Oh, okay. The Roman Pope Leo IX wrote an attack on the Eastern Orthodox Church, and one of the things he said was that they had promoted eunuchs so indiscriminately that they had once accidentally made a woman pontiff. And once again, by way of, you know, Chinese whispers, given that in later times only a Roman Pope was referred to as pontiff, this story of an Eastern female Pope may have become the story of a Western female Pope. But in conclusion, there's no solid evidence to support the existence of Joan. I would love if there was accidentally both an Eastern and Western female Pope, and they met, and they were like hang on a gosh darn minute, and then they were just, like, best friends. That sounds beautiful. In conclusion, there's no solid evidence to spot the existence of Joan, but she was believed in from the mid-13th century until the 15th or even 16th century by the general populace and by and within the Catholic Church itself. Okay. As, like, a terrible thing that happened once, I assume. Yeah, as an example of, you know, how things can go wrong in the papacy. She's used in conversations of why women shouldn't become priests. She's used in conversations about why you have to be really careful about how the papal elections are conducted. She's also brought into conversations about who can become a priest and, you know, who is a woman and who is a man in terms of becoming a priest. So there's some interesting stuff about whether intersex people, who they refer to as hermaphrodites at the time, Mm -hmm. can become priests. which comes up because of conversations about Pope Joan. That's interesting. Yeah, well, an intersex person can become Pope if they are... Basically, the theory was that there were kind of intersex people who would lean one way or the other. Yeah, okay. And if they lean more towards being masculine, then yeah, they can become a priest. Is that still the thing today? I don't know what the thing is today. Okay. So in conclusion, I don't think Pope Joan was real. With that, we've been Curious Fact. Thank you for listening. I'm Alice. I'm Eli. If you enjoy our episode and you want to find us on social media, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr as Queer as Fact, and you can also email us directly at queerasfact at gmail.com. You can find more of our episodes on Podbean, on iTunes, and wherever else you find your podcasts. And if you find us on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it if you would rate us and leave us a review. Our next episode, which will be coming out on the 15th of July, is on the American gospel musician Sister Rosetta Tharp. And we'll be back with our next mini episode on the 8th of August when we'll be talking to you about the Australian artist William Dobell and the controversy surrounding his 1943 Archibald Prize win. Thanks for listening and we'll see you then. (laughs) 